you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the 4th White House Radio Network. Welcome to Episode 7 of Reclaiming the Faith. A podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us. Today, I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. In episode 7, I'm going to be discussing a heartbreaking, fate-based, false dilemma that I believe musician Derek Webb is currently walking through. Many of you will recognize Derek from his outstanding solo albums, as well as the many years he spent as a co-founder of Christian band Cademan's Call. If you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com, or email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. And I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at the Fourth Watch Radio Network Uh, website, or on the 4th Watch Radio Network podcast. And finally, if you'd like to get a copy of my book about this journey that Jesus and the early Christians have taken me on, you can purchase it on Amazon. It's called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And again, if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there. It'd be such, it'd be so helpful. Um, All right, let's get into episode seven. I've got to say, Derek Webb is an awesome musician. I've liked him ever since the days of Cademan's Call, but his solo music was far better than anything that I had heard on Christian radio. His songs have always had an honesty and an applicational urgency to them that inspired and impacted me on a deep level. Derek's third album, Mockingbird, It played a pivotal role in preparing me for the writings of the early Christians. It came out in 2005, at a time when war was heavy on everyone's minds, and Webb was quoting Martin Luther King Jr. and causing us to think about King Jesus' powerful and transformative message of non-resistance. Songs like, My Enemies Are Men Like Me began to cause me to question my previously held views on Christians and violence. Listen to the words of that song. I have come to give you life and to show you how to live it. I have come to make things right, to heal their ears and show you how to forgive them. Because I would rather die. I would rather die. I would rather die than to, get, than to take your life. So how can I kill the ones I'm supposed to love? My enemies are men like me. 
I will protest the sword if it's not wielded well. My enemies are men like me. Peace by way of war is like purity by way of fornication. It's like telling someone murder is wrong and then showing them by way of execution. Because I would rather die. I would rather die. I would rather die than to take your life. So how can I kill the ones that I'm supposed to love? My enemies are men like me. I will protest the sword if it is not wielded well. My enemies are men like me. When justice is bought and sold just like weapons of war, the ones who always pay are the poorest of the poor. How can I kill the ones that I'm supposed to love? My enemies are men like me. I will protest the sword if it's not wielded well. My enemies are men like me. Derek Webb always seemed like he would be a really cool guy to meet. But when I got my chance, I totally blew it. Early on in my marriage, Webb was playing at a conference that Stephanie and I were attending. And suddenly, he walked right into the same elevator that we were in, guitar in hand. But instead of being my my normal welcoming self, I just froze. Stephanie was dying to talk to him, but I, I kind of motioned to her to just let him be since it was clear that he was about to perform. And that was a big time husband fail. So for Stephanie's birthday a few years ago, God gave me an idea to try to make things right. Derek had just written an album called, I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You. So I sent him an email explaining what had happened in the elevator that day, and that I was hoping that for my wife's birthday, he would send her a message telling her that I was wrong, I'm sorry, and I love her. And to my surprise, he responded pretty quickly. And he sent me a video for her. And here's the audio to it. Hey, Stephanie, this is Derek Webb. And Philip and I were talking about this. And uh, he told me that we apparently nearly met in an elevator one time. And uh, he wanted me to convey a message for him. That he was wrong, he is sorry, and he loves you. And happy birthday. Well, you can imagine how he definitely helped me score some points with Stephanie that day. But unfortunately, the reason that album was called I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You, is that Derek's marriage to Christian singer Sarah McCracken was quickly unraveling. What eventually came out is that Webb had been having an affair And addressing the affair and his eventual divorce from McCracken, he wrote this. The truth is, I cheated. 
what started as a brief, inappropriate, and quickly confessed connection with a very old friend evolved quickly into something more serious, which was hidden from spouses and friends. It continued in secret for a matter of months, was eventually discovered, and set into motion the consequences that I will now live with for the rest of my life. He continues, As much as I wish I could, I simply cannot change what I've done, nor the resulting consequences. I can only own these despicable actions, which have left me completely devastated and deeply ashamed. Sometimes, no matter how bad you want it or how hard you fight for it, broken things just can't be mended. The only path forward from here is to continue focusing on health and healing, my children, my parents, and investing in safe community. I mean, that's just heartbreaking, isn't it? You know, though the web obviously seemed broken and repentant over his actions, tragically, it got worse. Over the last few years, Derek has evidently divorced himself from Jesus. In fact, that's exactly what he has said in various statements about his latest album, Fingers Crossed. And though I can't empathize with the enormity of Derek's pain, this really hurts. It really hurts to watch a brother walk through one divorce and supposedly another. And what's also painful is that it appears that his theology has led him to believe that he must have been predestined to take such a heartbreaking fall. Listen to the words of one of his new songs, Chasing Empty Mangers. The tiny Christmas tree, the empty stockings hanging, the house devoid of chaos and life, while daddy's getting drunk, the peanuts kids are dancing. There's no star atop the tree tonight. Because I'm taking what you give. The baby God returning. Bringing peace to every house but mine. So another man takes the fall. For just doing all he could. In light of what you dreamed up. For your glory and another man's good. Oh God, what have I done without your great permission? Knowing fully of the end at the start, like a dirty, and I'm changing the words here, GD trick. I either sin as I resist you, or I do it as I'm doing my part. So all my empathy to Judas and the devil they were yours as much in the light as in the dark. So another man takes the fall just for doing all he could in light of what you dreamed up for your glory and another man's good. So tonight I'll watch the skies for a sleigh and saint appearing like a great star running out of space on this drunken Christmas Eve. I gotta say that feels as likely as any one of you three showing your face. So a toast to all my friends 
who are lost and beat and bleeding, still chasing empty mangers out of faith. As I read through all the words of his newest album, it seems pretty clear that Webb appears to be stuck between two choices. Either the version of Christianity that he has been taught is true, and he is a Judas character, or Christianity must be false. But the message I'd like to gently get to Derek is that he has created a false dilemma. Those are not the only two choices. For instance, what if I told you that none of the early Christians believed in fate? Therefore, what if it's not Christianity that you're rejecting, but rather a distortion of the real thing? And if that's true, what if you're not destined and fated to be Judas? What if there is still a tremendous amount of hope waiting for you to reach out and grab hold of? Let me show you what I mean. So this is Tatian writing in 160 AD in volume two of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. He writes this, the demons introduced fate, a flagrant injustice. They teach that the judge and judged are made so by fate. The murderers and the murdered, the wealthy and the needy, they are all the offspring of fate. As he's saying, demons came up with that doctrine. Here's Justin Martyr in 160, in volume one of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, 160. He says this, Lest some suppose, from what has been said by us, that we say that whatever occurs happens by a fatal necessity because it is foretold as known beforehand. So he's like saying, just because we talk about foreknowledge doesn't mean we necessarily believe in fate at all. This too we explain. We have learned from the prophets and we hold it to be true that punishments, chastisements, and the good rewards are rendered according to the merit of each man's actions. Now, if this is not so, but all things happen by fate, then neither is anything at all in our own power. For if it is predetermined that this man will be good and this other man will be evil, then neither is the first man meritorious nor the latter man to be blamed. And again, unless the human race has the power of avoiding evil and choosing good by their free choice, they are not accountable for their actions." We do not maintain that it is by fate that men do what they do or suffer what they suffer. Rather, we maintain that each man acts rightly or sins by his free choice, and all who wish for it can obtain mercy from God if they repent. You know, there are many many, many, many passages that I could cite from the Bible. But just to keep this passage, sorry, just to keep this podcast uh, to a reasonable length, I just want to look at one from Luke chapter 7. So in Luke chapter 7, 
John has been talking with, um, or John has sent a delegate basically to Jesus to ask if he's going to get out of prison. And Jesus has been talking with that, um, with those people, um, kind of encouraging John to hang in there because Jesus is who he says he is. And then he says this to the crowd, Luke chapter seven, verse 28, he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged that they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And Jesus begins to speak. He says, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And so it's pretty interesting that verse 30, particularly, you know, God had a purpose for these Pharisees and lawyers that they would be baptized by John, that they would repent. But they chose not to. They chose to reject that purpose for them. Now, clearly, all through the Bible, you know, many passages declaring that God's ultimate purpose for himself and for the world will not be thwarted. But isn't it interesting that we can miss out on his purpose for us because there's free will. But we can also discover it. It's interesting toward the end of Acts, as Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he has a conversation with James and he's like, look how many priests have become obedient to the faith. You know, thousands of priests have become obedient to the faith. So you see many of these priests who very, very well likely um, took part in the condemnation of Jesus over, over you know, several years had repented of that. They, maybe they went from rejecting God's purpose to now coming in line with God's purpose through repentance. There's hope. There's hope. You know, though, though fate is a popular belief of people today, it is not biblical. And though Christian fatalism was virtually taught by John Calvin, it was absolutely not taught by the early Christians. In fact, the only people that called themselves Christians who believed in fate in the first three centuries were the Gnostics. You know, the people that First John says have the spirit of the Antichrist. You know, the early Christians did not believe in fate, but they did believe in free will. And with that in mind, let's talk about Judas for a minute. 
It had been prophesied hundreds of years before Judas's lifetime that someone close to the Messiah would betray the innocent anointed one, do it for 30 pieces of silver, and that money would be used to buy a potter's field. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Judas, at some point after his betrayal of Jesus, started to put some prophecy puzzle pieces together. And then overwhelmed with a worldly sorrow, he took matters into his own hands instead of trusting in the Lord. And the way that seemed right to him ended in death. He was unwilling to do the hard work that constituted full repentance. And so he ended up hanging himself in that purchased field. But you know what? Both Judas and Peter spent a lot of time with the best teacher who ever lived. Both received amazing insights about scriptures, about the scriptures. Both proclaimed the kingdom of God, both cast out demons and healed the sick. And both blew it at various times. And though Jesus had incredible patience with each one, both Peter and Jewish utterly failed the Lord on his last night on earth. But Peter, however, did not take himself out of the game. Even when he was overwhelmed with depression and doubt and he wanted to quit, he was willing to follow Jesus's voice. Have you ever wondered why, after his resurrection, that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? You know, I've heard sermons about this passage in John chapter 21, and often the preacher will say that Jesus was restoring Peter to ministry since Peter had early deni- earlier denied Jesus three times. But let me suggest that there was a little bit more going on in that moment. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, Paul writes, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Basically, that means that God keeps every promise He makes. Every promise, whether they seem good or bad. And earlier in Jesus' ministry, Peter had heard Jesus promise, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And I believe Peter remembered the latter portion of that promise and thought all hope for him was lost. That is why he was almost to the point of giving up on being a disciple of Jesus and had decided to go back into the fishing business. However, Jesus keeps all of his promises. In Romans 2.4, Paul tells us that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So, in his kindness, Jesus helped Peter do the hard work of repentance on that beach. Three times, he asked Peter, Do you love me? And three times, Peter said yes and called Jesus his Lord in front of the others. Three times, Jesus then told Peter to be a shepherd to his flock, the church. Yes, 
Peter was restored to ministry that day. But more crucially, he was restored spiritually. When Peter addressed the crowd in Acts chapter 3 and called them to repent, promising times of refreshing from the Lord if they would obey the promptings of the Spirit, he was speaking from empathy, experience, and a hope-filled, repentant heart that knew the depth of God's kindness. And if God can spiritually restore Peter and many of the people who played a part in having Jesus killed, he can restore you as well. So, Derek, may the Lord of heaven and earth bring you up out of that pit, out of the miry clay, and set your feet upon the rock to make your footsteps firm. May the Lord rescue you and deliver you. May you accept what you cannot change in the cross and the empty tomb. And may you seek peace and pursue it. And as you do, may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every way.
things you cannot change so fix your gaze on the cross and the empty tomb always be strong take courage my child you'll know For I'm Emmanuel Yes, I'm Emmanuel I'm Emmanuel